0: All right, good morning. Let's go ahead and get started this morning. Um, In just a second, Vance is going to come and start our service with scripture reading. Uh, But I just want to give you a couple announcements. First of all, I would encourage you to uh, grab a bulletin. Uh, We're we're really trying to make sure all the information is up to date. If you just want to stay familiar with what's going on, what's coming up, uh, grab a bulletin there's also a newsletter in the back I don't have one of those with me but I've, I've got an article in there and, and there's some other information in our newsletter uh, so that is out today later on we'll put that out on on Facebook as well and we'll share it on there but if you want a copy of that it's on the table in, in the back uh, this is the last Sunday to sign up for Grace Marriage and I just want to make one more uh, encouragement for you uh, that this is, this is something that I think is good for our marriages. It's good for us to stop and, and talk about marriage and talk about what's going on with us uh, before it becomes a problem. And so just being proactive in our marriages is, is key, I think. You just look around and unfortunately, uh, when you look in the church, the divorce rates inside the church are really not too much better than the divorce rates outside the church. And that's a shame. This is this is a central issue in our day and time. When we talk about being disciples of Jesus Christ, this is a central discipleship issue. If we're going to stand out from the world, if we're going to be an example to the world, one of the key ways that we can do that is by having strong, healthy marriages. And this is just a program to try to foster that uh, within our own community. So I'd encourage you to sign up for that today. And uh, those, those cards are on the table in the back. So Vance, you come now.
1: open with a a word from the Lord. If y'all want to turn to Psalm 29, we're going to pick back up in the Psalms. We've parted uh, with it for a couple weeks, but Psalm 29. It's very fitting, I think, for this morning, uh, just glorifying God. Psalm 29, I'm going to read the entire chapter. This is a Psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf. And Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the the deer give birth. And strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as, as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. If you would bow your heads as we open with prayer. Our most gracious Father, we come here to glorify you. Lord, I pray that you, you bless us with your presence and your glory this morning as we come here to worship you, to preach your word. Lord, to petition you in prayer and, Lord, just to, um, to glorify you with this regular this regular means of discipleship that, that occurs here today. Lord, I pray you bless our every ministry here at Union Baptist Church. And, um, and, Lord, that you continue to glorify ourselves in us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, this morning I have the very good pleasure... Of introducing to you our um, classical conversations community in part. Um, we've got a few that are missing, um, but uh, they've prepared a song. It's really just a part of our curriculum. They'll be singing uh, John 1, 1 through 7, which we actually work to memorize in the Latin. Well, we thought we would spare you, uh, though our efforts were great um, in the Latin, um, but it's a uh, You wouldn't understand it anyway, so we're going to send you the English translation, but I'm very pleased. And just as, um, I mean, we talk all the time here about making disciples in community. And guys, I wish you could just see the families that we have committed and from around the community, other Baptist churches in our area, and um, just the discipleship that occurs in in, in the families. And and I just feel blessed to be a part of that. And I'm very thankful that um, Union has opened their doors uh, to us to, to have our homeschool group here. So, without any further ado, I'm just going to have the kids come up and uh, just line the step here and present our song to you.
0: Well, it is a privilege to have them here. And man, I just encourage you all, uh, you know, just getting the Word of God into your children uh, at a young age. You, you all sometimes see me just quote scripture in a sermon. And uh, that's probably not anything I memorized recently. That's stuff that I memorized in children's church and Sunday school and the school that I was in. And so I'd encourage you to, at a young age, uh, accomplish that. And it's just great to see these children singing uh, singing Scripture and knowing the Word of God. So let's pray for them and their families. Lord, thank you for these families who are here with us this morning and uh, for the work that they're doing. and and uh, seeking to disciple their own children to point their children to christ and to to educate them we pray for your blessing on their efforts uh in that lord god we just ask that you would be with each family with each child and lord we know that it's easy to get children to memorize and to recite things uh but lord we pray that those truths that they're reciting now from from memory in in their mind would be written upon their hearts Uh, That they would come truly to know Christ and this one who is the word that came to bring salvation to mankind. We pray that they would know that. We pray for all the children of this church, Lord, that they would know the word who was made flesh and that they would be saved by him. Lord, we pray now as we enter into this time of worship that our hearts and our minds would be focused and directed toward you away from this world. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's have our ushers come forward at this time. As they're coming, just uh, wanted to give you an, an update. Uh, Josh Hutchins with Gospel Life Missions, who's going to Malawi to train pastors. We took him on a few months ago to support him. And uh, he has uh, set a date for them to move to Malawi. And uh, you know, just knowing him personally, knowing he's got, I think, five children and his wife and just uh, the weight of that, Bonnie and I were talking about it last night, and she said, you know, when you think about them and you see, we were in seminary together, you see them moving, like really getting on a plane and flying to Malawi and living there. It's like, wow, I, I don't feel like we're anywhere where we need to be in terms of obedience to the Lord and and service. And so let's just pray for Josh and pray for his family and uh, just pray that all the Technicalities will will go through smoothly; that there won't be any hitches uh, with him moving his family there. So let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning. We're thankful, Lord, for these brothers and sisters in Christ, whom you have given generous hearts. We thank you that there are so many here that do give faithfully and support the the work that we're doing here. But then, also out of the overflow of this ministry, we're able to support many, many missionaries around the world and uh, particularly Josh and, and his family, and we want to lift them up to you. We, we pray, Lord, uh, that even as they're getting ready to go, that the, the rest of the support that they need to to do this ministry and to do it well will, will come through. And uh, we just pray that you give him success in, in his work, not earthly, worldly success, but but success according to your word. We pray that many pastors... Will be trained up; that they will know the gospel well; that they will be uh, that they will be good students of your word, and that they will be able to disciple other people there in Malawi. I pray that this this ministry that he's doing will just bear much fruit. Be with them, Lord. I, I pray that everything from passports to flights and and all of those things that they would just work out smoothly, and that your grace would just cover this situation, Lord. Uh, we just. Thank you again for for those who are here. We we pray that you would use this offering to allow us to continue to support many other missionaries like Josh and his family. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. And I uh, forgot so much about myself, I forgot to put the microphone on, so just a second here. All right. Take your Bibles this morning and uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. Continuing this series through the Book of Ephesians, and uh, how many of y'all started mowing grass? It's it's about that time, isn't it? Uh, and I'm I'm enjoying it. I like mowing grass. Of course, Chris Chris mows most of our grass. He does it. He stays on top of it. And the kids now help with that. But uh, I always enjoyed mowing grass. But you know, when when you're wanting grass to look good, sometimes you gotta you got to go over it twice. I mean if it's real thick and tall uh, you might need to go over it twice. Or You definitely want to make sure that you're getting over uh, far enough to where you know you're kind of doing half of what you already cut and then a half a strip of the the new stuff that hadn't been cut. You just want to make sure you're covering everything. You don't want to get out there later. There's nothing worse is there You you get out there and you're looking at the lawn that's fresh cut, and there's some a row of grass just kind of standing up. I hate that. I'll get the lawnmower back out and mow that again just because I can't, I can't stand that. Well, that might be a good analogy for what we're doing here in in the book of Ephesians uh, because I'm going to be back in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, uh, which a couple of weeks ago Jared preached, and uh, then. Because I felt like there was some stuff we had missed in chapter 1. We moved back to chapter 1. But now I'm going to come back to these verses. And Jared did an excellent job of walking us through these. But there is, there is just so much truth here in the book of Ephesians. It is Sometimes I've, I've explained it as, as the gospel in concentrate form. I mean, it is just jam-packed. Every word, every line, every sentence uh, needs to be explored. And, and we won't want to miss anything. And so we're going to come back to these verses again. And Lord willing, we may be back in them again next week. So if if this sounds a little bit redundant, that's okay. Uh, Jared covered much of this, but but we're going to hopefully see some new facets of the truth in in this text. So Ephesians chapter 2, enough of my apology for preaching the same verses again. But Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them So We're going to jump right in to these verses and one of the first things that we see is that it begins This chapter begins with a conjunction and I think it does and Jared highlighted this it does point us backwards it points us back to what uh, he has been talking about, Jesus Christ. And we saw uh, the, the end of, of, of chapter 1 talking about the exaltation of Jesus Christ and how Paul was praying in those final verses of that chapter. He says, I want you to know the power of God that is directed towards you. It is the power of God that he worked in Christ. And then he explained what that power did. Do you, do you remember how that power raised Jesus up from the dead? And then it seated him and exalted him and seated him at the right hand of god the father far above all principalities and rulers and powers and authorities not only in this age but in the age to come so jesus is raised up from the dead he's exalted into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of god and all authority and all power and all dominion have been subjected under his feet and he's made christ head over all Things And Paul was praying for the Ephesian church and praying for us, I believe, that we would know the power of God that did that is now directed toward you. And so really in chapter 2, he's just going to continue that same thought really, I think, because what he's going to show us is what God did in Jesus Christ is in fact the same thing that he's going to do in your life and he is doing in your life and has already done in your life. The same things that occurred to Jesus Christ by the power of God occur in the life of the believer. And that's why these verses begin, and you. He's been talking about Jesus Christ and him being raised up and seated and all that. And now in chapter 2, with an, with an emphatic kind of thing, uh, emphasis, he, sa- he says, and you. Turning now. Think about the power of God and what God has done in Christ. And now, and you. This is the power of God and what he's doing in your life. And in fact, Jared did point out that that all the things that that he did in Christ in chapter 1, he's now doing in us. So like Christ, we were dead. And you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. Just as Christ was dead, you were dead. Just as God raised him up from uh, the dead, so in chapter 2, You have been made alive by the power of God and he has raised you up with Christ. In chapter uh, 2 verses 5 and then verse 6 we see that. So we've been raised up, we've been made alive. And then verse 6 it says that we've been seated with Christ, with Christ in heavenly places So just as He was made alive and raised up and then seated at the right hand of the Father, so we've been made alive spiritually, we've been raised up from the dead, our spiritual death, and we've been seated with Jesus Christ that in the ages to come He might show the riches of His grace. You see, the life of Jesus Christ is the pattern for the life of every believer. What God did in Christ, He has done, is doing, and will do in your life if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. So I want to go on then this morning and talk about this death. Christ was really physically dead. This is a spiritual death that we are under, and it is a spiritual death that leads to physical death. And the opposite is true. When we're made spiritually alive, it leads to physical life as well. That's where the resurrection comes from. But notice the death that is talked about here. And you were dead... In your trespasses and in your sins you're dead in your trespasses in your trespasses and in your sins that's that's talking about the the sphere or the domain that we are in we are in the domain of sin and the result of us being in sin and living in a world and being part of that sinful fallen uh, in, in part of that sphere is that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. He says, in which you once walked. That's part of the death. That's what's described as this death. The the fact that we are living in sin and we are walking in sin. To walk is is the way that you live. It's your lifestyle. And so we're dead in our sin because we're walking in sin. And so one person says this. It says, the sinful condition of humanity is lifeless and motionless, lifeless and motionless you all know what dead means right lifeless and motionless as far as any Godward activity is concerned that's our condition we're dead in our trespasses and in our sins now Jared did an excellent job of sort of getting underneath that and saying how did that occur why were we born in this condition he looked at the foundation of that the fact that we are in Adam Adam sinned, And so Adam, as the representative of humanity, brought sin upon all of us so that all of us are sinners. We're born this way. We are born spiritually dead. And then I think uh, Jared went a step further and talked about uh, the, the, the result of that deadness. What does that mean? What does that bring about? And he looked at several verses. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the natural person does not receive the things of God for they are folly to him and he is unable to understand them. We're dead. We're not not motivated to move toward God in our natural condition. We do not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Or John 6, 44, he cited that as well. No one can come to me. Jesus is talking in, in John. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You're not going to take a step toward Jesus Christ unless... God the Father draws you in that way. Why is that? Because you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Or Jesus later in John 15, 5, apart from me. Spiritually speaking, you can do nothing. Now Jesus isn't saying you can't get up and go to work, that you can't do the things that you do in your life, but he's saying of spiritual consequence, of spiritual good, you can do nothing apart from me. So what I want to do, though, this morning is to ask ourselves, why is that the case? Why are those things true? Jared, Jared showed us that it's rooted in our identity with Adam, and then he showed us the effect of us, the effect of it, that it, it, it leads us in a place that we are unable to do any good spiritually or to, to draw ourselves closer to God apart from uh, the work of God. But why is it? How does that? How does that work? Well, I think what we see in this passage is that there are three forces in our lives, there are three forces that keep us in that state of deadness, that bondage to sin, that inability to draw to God, the inability to do anything good apart from Christ. There are three things in this passage that, that point us and, and show us why that is the case. Do you see them here? First of all, uh, they are, I'll, I'll just mention them, that they are uh, the world, the devil and our own sinful flesh. The world, the devil, and our flesh. So let's jump in and and look at these this morning. First, the world. He says in verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Why? Following the course of this world. The reason you are dead, the reason you are unable to draw near to God, the reason you are able, unable to do any good of a spiritual kind apart from a work of God is because as you are in your natural condition, your deadness, your spiritual deadness is this, that you are following the course of this world. Literally, it could be the age of this world. In, in the Bible, there's this age and there's the age to come. This age is an age marked by sin and re- rebellion. And so it's the age of this world. And then uh, the world. No is, is described in terms of its wickedness, in terms of its rebellion, in, in terms of its own uh, rejection of Christ. The world is used to denote in Scripture often sinful humanity in a collective sense. We're all sinners, but, but when you look at the whole lot of us, we're the world, and we are in open opposition to Christ. And so it denotes sinful humanity collectively especially its ethical and moral system, which is opposed to God. We're a part of this world. We're in the age of this world. We're following the course of this world. And so apart from the work of God, we're just gonna stay on the course that we're in. It's like one of those trails that the ruts are really deep, right? Uh, it's a well-worn path, and it's really hard to get out of those ruts and try to go on a new path or go in a new direction. That's the way we are in terms of the world. The world is going this way, and it just lays the tracks. The, the ruts are going that way. The path is going that way, and we just find ourselves in that path, and in a sense, impossible. Uh, it's impossible for us to get away from it. We are following the world. One commentator said this, In other words, the unregenerate, meaning unbelievers, the unsaved, are found conforming to the standards of the present world order. They go, they go along with it with what is fashionable and acceptable and are not out of step with the rest of the world. Hence, they embrace temporal values. They are concerned only with activities and values of the present age and not concerned with God and eternal values or with the judgment to come. You know, the, the pressure... That the world exerts and the influence that it exerts on us is is unbelievably staggering in a sense and and i think what this is teaching is that the world as a system the world has an unbreakable influence Upon us, apart from the grace of God, we are unable to free ourselves from the influence that the world has on us, the, the influence of its value system and its way of thinking about reality, its way of thinking about morality. We are unable, we are dead because we just go along with the world. Apart from Christ, we simply fall into the mold of the world that the world cast for us you know one of the difficulties with the way that the world operates is that you don't have to study it you don't have to learn you, you don't have to go to school to learn the way of the world it's just in the air you just breathe it you You take it in. It's like a worldview. Most people don't stop and think about their worldview. They just receive it. They they get it from their parents. They get it from their brothers and sisters and cousins. They get it from their friends. They get it from their co-workers. They get it from media, from the TV TV and and social media and all of these things. And it's just constantly pouring into us. This is the way that you, you should think. This is what is right. This is what is wrong. This is what is good. This is what is bad. And you're just breathing it in. And so often we don't even stop to think about it. We don't even question it. We just we just do it. We we know how strong and how powerful culture is. Just just look at different places in the world. And this isn't ter- in terms of just moral or immoral. This is just you know just the way that you do life, the foods that you eat, the customs that you have. We don't stop and think about those things. We just do them, and they seem natural to us. And sometimes those are the, 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 those are simply. Uh, there's nothing moral or immoral about them, but but it's just the way that we live life. But but that same kind of mindset filters through in, in moral issues as well. We just think that this is right and this is good, and we accept it. Why? Because the world around us is telling us this is what is good, and so we imbibe it. We take it in without even really thinking about it very much at all. The world subtly exerts its influences on you in a million different ways every day. It's through the philosophy of the day. It's, it's through the mindset all around you. It's through your peers, through your family, through the music that you listen to, the movies that you watch, the books that you read. It's through the conversations that you have with coworkers. It's through social media. You, know, you see this, the, the strength that the world has, the, the influence and the pressure that it exerts because you just look at your children, right? You look at your children, and no matter how much you try to impart morality to them, no matter how much you try to teach them right from wrong, you try to teach them what God's standard of good and and bad is, no matter how much you try to influence them, unless unless the Lord does a work on their life, they're going to end up following into the mold of the world. And so many parents have experienced that, haven't we? We've, we've seen that. I brought them to Sunday school. I taught them, but, but, but there was never any conversion there. They were never born again. And so the second they gained their freedom, where are they doing? They're doing the things of the world. They're following the course of this world. It's a powerful influence. It's a, an unbreakable influence, but it isn't just our children that are influenced by the world. Apart from Christ, all of us are, are this way. The way that we think, the values that we hold, Our sense of right and wrong at all is influenced by the world in an unbreakable kind of way and now i think in our day and time that this is even harder perhaps than in times past The, the 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 influence that the world has through the latest kind of inventions and and technology is just staggering and and this is what it makes you know, when we talk about parenting is what makes parenting so difficult because it's all around us. The development of new technology all the way from the, from radio to Twitter, from TV to YouTube, from telephones to Facebook has exponentially accelerated the influence of the world. Now, Now hear me, I'm not saying that these things are sinful. Technology is not sinful in and of itself, but it's sinful in the way that it is used and the world uses it powerfully. Through these mediums, the world's influence is instantaneous. It's constant and it's powerful. It's instantaneous. You, you don't have to wait. It used to be that that it would be easier for Christian families and people seeking to be like Christ to kind of ins, insulate themselves uh, from these things. You know, what happens out on the left, you know, the left coast or up in the northeast, it, it didn't really immediately affect uh hallsville kentucky right here the, the backwoods of hancock county right we could kind of be insulated from that but but with the technology that we have all the mediums of communication the world is speaking to your children they speaking to you as you're sitting in bed you don't even have to get out of bed to be under the influence of the world it's all around us it's instantaneous it's it's constant Right? The moment you wake up, many of you, the first thing you're doing is looking at a phone and the world is bearing its pressure on you. It's showing you this is beautiful, this is good, this is right. This is what you should pursue with your life. It's all the time. You turn the TV on, you turn the radio. Many of us never stop for a moment from taking in some kind of media into our lives. And so the influence that it has has grown exponentially, I think it's, it's powerful it's a powerful influence. It comes in ways that are visually and orally pleasing, pleasing and and brings about an emotional response. You know, when you stop to watch movies or you, you watch what's on TV or you see what's on social media, you know, I think most women here would say, you know, I know adultery is wrong. I know that's wrong. I, I would never do that. But, but we find ourselves taking in media and it, it's given in such a pleasing way it's given in such a powerful way that some of you have sat there and and i'm not gonna i'll put myself in that as well we we have sat there in front of movies and been rooting for people to commit adultery like that's the power of of this technology the the fact that we would say murder is wicked and vile and yet we can sit there and watch movies and be drawn in to feel things about murder that that a christian should never feel the 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 influence that the world has through the media of our day and time is powerful how powerful is it well you see this in in the way that in just such a short time 20 years something like the view of the common view of sexuality has changed in 20 years that is unheard of it is unthinkable shifts in mindsets and ideologies that used to take centuries now are happy, happening in decades in 10 years these the, the, you know 20 years ago 30 years ago The common person on the street, they knew what sexuality was. They knew what what morality was in terms of sexuality. But a man and a woman in the confines of marriage, you had to look at, at, you know, especially if you were to go back 30, 40, 50 years ago, you had to look to the fringes of the culture that would think any differently about sexuality than a man and a woman in, in marriage. There were people that were doing other things, uh, but, but oftentimes they knew this was wrong, but they wanted to indulge in it anyway. And you had to look at the fringes of our culture. Now all you have to do is, is talk to, the, to some of the youth in, in our church to see a very different view of sexuality. And well, if you're okay with it and they're okay with it and nobody's heard, well, then that must be okay. How has that change happened? It's through the influence of the world on the church it's not just a matter of sexuality though that's not the only thing that the world influences us it's it's a hundred different issues in a million different ways that the world speaks to us why is it that we all so all of a sudden feel the necessity to have beautiful brand new pristine homes that's the influence of the world in a materialistic age, saying you don't have a nice home unless it's brand new. Unless you could show it on HGTV, you don't have a good home. I, I just think back to my, my grandparents, the-, the people that I knew growing up in- and the home that I love. I-, I would visit my grandparents. Their home was run down, not run down in a dirty sense, but it was just worn out. It was old. There was nothing trendy or fashionable look about it, and yet it was a home. And most of our grandparents were the same way. And now what is our mindset like like we go in it's like oh look that's linoleum we got to we got to gut the whole house right we got to get we got to get something brand new look I'm not saying that that's not wrong in and of itself to, to if you're remodeling your home I'm not condemning you this morning but that's the influence of the world that there's such a strong compulsion that we we cannot be content with anything that doesn't look brand new that's the influence of the world and as i said there's a million different ways but But you see the power that the world has on us. You're dead in your sins apart from Christ, apart from a working of God because you're walking according to the course of this world. The influence of the world is on you and it is impossible. It is impossible to break away apart from the grace of God. There's a second influence here that uh, defines our deadness and sin you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world and then following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience and so here is a reference i think to satan the prince of the power of the air we talked about didn't we last week when when we talked about jesus being exalted and all authority being subjected to him and yet because Christ is continuing to unfold his plan of redemption, he has not yet rid this world of Satan and his demons. And so there is a very real influence that Satan has over this world. And that's what he's talking about, the prince of the power of the air. Francis Foulkes says this, he says, basically his thought was of an evil power with control in the world, but whose existence was not material, but spiritual. He's the prince of the power of the air of the air Satan is a real being he's a spiritual being not a physical one and he exerts a very real influence over this world we saw last week didn't we that Jesus said that Satan was the ruler of this world in other places it, t- it refers to him as the God of this age and is that, that's still doing that I'm going to turn this off and see if that helps hopefully it does and I'll just stay right here Uh, and so Satan is at work when we see these shifts and we see the world going in directions that go directly against the word of God and what God commands and wills for humanity to do we need to understand yes it is sinful humanity but Satan is also behind that orchestrating that and bringing those things about we'll get later on maybe in uh, a few months from now to Ephesians chapter 6 where we are told this in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That is our battle. Satan is orchestrating this world according to, uh, to to his sinful designs. And so we need to see that behind that. He's so powerful in that sense that he is able to keep people in their sin and apart from Christ, apart from obedience to God. This is what 2 Corinthians 4.2 says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of, Of unbelievers, when we talk about being dead, another image that is used of our lostness or deadness is that we're blind, and we see that Satan is the one orchestrating that. He, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Satan is at work. This is the second force. This is the reason that you're spiritually dead. One, because you are walking according to the course of the world. Second, because Satan is orchestrating this world and keeping people under his control, under darkness and blindness, away from seeing the gospel. He says this, this, the, the the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And that doesn't mean, I don't think, to say that the spirit is at work in sons of disobedience. It doesn't mean that every unbeliever is possessed by Satan it simply means that they are under his influence and acting in the same way that he acts namely disobedience this is our second enemy or the second force that keeps us in this spiritual death that we are in there's a third one though and we'll move on here you see he says following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience and then look at verse three among whom we all once lived In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's the third force that is exerting pressure to keep us in this state of deadness away from God and away from Christ. And although those other forces were external, right, we have the world kind of coming at us all the time. And and then we have Satan blinding us and keeping us from seeing the truth and orchestrating this world in a way that is opposed to God but this is a force that is internal it comes from within we're walking it says uh, among whom we all once lived carrying out the passions of our flesh and doing the desires of the of the body and the mind it's an internal force that is compelling us You see, no matter how strong the world is or no matter how enticing Satan's temptations are, uh, if there wasn't something within us compelling us in that direction, maybe we could overcome it. But the problem is these external forces are coupled by an internal force, our flesh, our mind, and our body that are saying, yes, let's follow this. Let's go this way. These three together are keeping us in a state of spiritual death. Notice the vocabulary here passions of the flesh the flesh in the bible strictly speaking sometimes it just refers to our body our flesh and bones we're physical human beings we have a tangible body our flesh but in a theological sense in the way that the apostle paul uses it more often it is to talk about this this idea it's the center of our sinful inclinations it's our sometimes you hear it referred to as our sin nature we have a sin nature And that's what the flesh is referring to. The flesh is that within us that inclines us away from God and opposes what God would have us do. It's our sinful nature, which is strongly inclined away from God and toward sin. Our sin nature is why we are all sinners, because it inclines us in that way. You know, even as we're born, even as... uh, Kate Louise isn't in here, but she's so sweet, but she's got a sin nature. That's why she is a sinner and why she will sin when given the opportunity and given the the, the time, she will be a sinner. You know, if we were born in some kind of state where we were kind of neutral and each person could decide uh, from a place of neut- neutrality, maybe there would be some people who wouldn't sin. But the fact that billions and billions and billions of people have lived on this planet and every last one of them save our lord and savior jesus christ have been a sinner indicates that there's something wrong internally right it's our sinful flesh that inclines us away from the lord but not only that we carry out the passions of our flesh but carrying out the desires of the body and the mind Our mind is the center of our reasoning. It's the center of our knowledge and understanding. But here's what the Bible teaches about us as human beings, as fallen human beings, is that every aspect of you is fallen. Your will, your mind, your volition, every part of who you are is affected by sin. Even your reasoning capabilities are affected by sin. And and that's why Satan is able to blind us because we're reasoning and we're thinking well, this seems right, and that doesn't seem true, but our reasoning capabilities, our reasoning faculties, our mind is broken, it is tainted by sin. And so we see this in Romans 8, 6, and 7. It says this, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. And I would say what he's saying there, I think, All of us in our natural condition, our mind is set on the flesh. It is set on that part of our being that is inclined towards sin, our sinful desires. Our mind, our reasoning, our capabilities, our our knowledge is set on the flesh. And therefore it is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God. Your mind, apart from a work of God, as it is in its natural condition, your mind, set on the flesh, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. That's what it means to be dead. You think about it, and you think, well, I'm looking, and I'm evaluating, and should I follow Jesus, and should I do that? And it doesn't, your flesh is telling your mind, no, that's not right. That's not right, right? And so your, your reasoning capabilities are broken, and therefore the, the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It, it doesn't submit to God's law, and it cannot. It cannot. You hear that? It cannot. The mind set on the flesh cannot submit to the law of God. That's how dead we are. We're really, really dead, not just a little bit dead, What's, what's that, the Princess Bride? Any Princess Bride fans, right? He's just mostly dead. No, he's not just mostly dead. We're all the way dead. We're dead dead. And so we cannot submit to the law of God. Ephesians four seventeen teaches the same thing. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, the emptiness of their minds. They are darkened, in their understanding, they're darkened in their understanding. So some of you, just a quick application point here, some of you are thinking, you know, I've evaluated Christianity, I've evaluated Scripture, I've evaluated the Word of God, I've reasoned through it in my mind, and I just think there are some things that are wanting, and and I'm sitting here in a place of neutrality, and and just being an objective science kind of person, I'm just evaluating all that, and the claims of Christianity, the claims of God are lacking, and so uh, my reasoning is telling me that this is not true, this is not right, and so... I'm making that kind of objective decision. What you need to know this morning, if that is you, is that it is not an objective situation. You are dead. Your mind doesn't work right. You're not reasoning in the right way. It is broken. Your mind is set on the flesh. And so it governs that whole reasoning process. One of the things that has happened in our, our world from a philosophical standpoint is just sometimes what people call as postmodernism In modernism, everybody had this scientific method and it was neat and clean and we can just be the scientists in, in the laboratory and we can be completely objective and, and just look at things in this objective way and then come to a neat, clean decision based on the facts. Uh, but one of the things that really has come out is that we're not really able to do that. Uh, all of us have biases. We all have We all have thoughts and and opinions that as much as we want to say are not part of this decision-making process, they're underlying our decision-making process, and that's what we're seeing here. Our reasoning is broken. It's fueled by and it's tainted by our sinful flesh, and that's what Paul is saying here, the mind that is set on the flesh. And so our reasoning is broken, and we. this is part of our deadnesses. This is why we're dead. This is why we don't follow Christ. This is why we are dead in our trespasses and sins, because we're carrying out the desires of our flesh and the desires of our mind, which is which is broken in its reasoning function. So you can see this broken reasoning all around us, I, I think. Uh, when you look at the world, I, I think a person with, with a reasoning capability and, and, and that is not tainted by sin, it is not motivated uh, by sinful desires, uh, I, I think a person like that will recognize that when you look at the beauty of this world and you look at the intricacies and the details of the human body and the, the, the marvel of this universe, that there must be some designer right? We don't, we don't look at a, a brand new car and think, that is amazing that all those pieces just flew together. That that doesn't happen. And you say, well, millions and billions of years and explosions. It still doesn't happen, right? You could put every part of a, of a Ford truck here in the floor and set off a bomb. It's not going to come together, right? It doesn't happen like that. It takes design. It takes purpose. It takes intentionality. And a person with properly functioning reasoning can look at this world and our universe and say somebody did this right someone put this together that's why the psalm says that is it is the fool it's the fool who has said in his heart there is no god and you could look all around it and you could see a million different instances of the way that that sin has tainted the minds and the reasoning capability of the world around us right Just look at the, again, not to beat a dead horse or to focus in on one issue because there are so many different ways, but but just think about the the change in sexuality, right? Right, A a properly working reasoning capability looking at this world that God and looking at human beings that God has made in his image tells us that there are male and female, right? And, And what that is who you are depends upon your anatomy and your physiology you don't, you don't just get to choose that right but but in our world now you could just choose whatever you want to be that's that's the product right of a of a reasoning capability that is broken it's tainted by sin why are people making that decision because their mind is set on the flesh so this is part of our Sinful condition there are a million other ways that we could see this in the world around us We are also spiritually dead because we are under the judgment of god What could be uh, One of the most frightening statements in in the bible we were by nature look at verse three we were by nature children of wrath Like the rest of mankind we are children of wrath by nature and I think what that means it could mean because of our sin nature but I I just think what that's saying there is just in terms of who we are naturally as we are born we are children of wrath we are objects of of God's divine and holy and just anger and you didn't have to do anything this was this was who you are by nature children of wrath the wrath of God is abiding on sinners right now. Jesus said this in John 3, 36. We all love John 3, 3, 3 Later on, Jesus says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Who does, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Right now here, if you are apart from Christ, if you have not believed in Jesus Christ, do not view yourself as being in some kind of neutral position with God. Well, I haven't decided for Christ. I haven't given my life to Christ. I haven't submitted to Christ. But but I'm not really against Christ. I'm just kind of in this neutral place here. Jesus says, if you have not believed, the wrath of God abides or remains on you right now. You are a child of wrath. God in his mercy is restraining that wrath he's delaying that anger he's giving you opportunity right now as you hear the gospel as you hear Christ and his grace and God and his mercy proclaimed he's giving you opportunity to turn from your sin and be forgiven and be saved and have your sins washed away he's giving you that opportunity but one day the wrath of God is going to come already there and one day it's going to be revealed Colossians 3 5 to 6 says this put to death therefore what is earthly in you sexual immorality impurity passion evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry on account of these the wrath of God is coming it's on you now it's it's abiding on you now but God is patient he's delaying the exercise of that anger and that wrath but there is a day that is coming in which the wrath of God is going to be revealed and I pray that you will turn to Christ before that day comes. One more thing that we see about this condition is that it's universal. Maybe some of you here grew up in church and you think, well, thank God none of that was ever me. That was all of us. Look at verse 3 again in a couple different places among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That's all of us. That's me. I'm not pointing fingers at other people and saying this is your condition. If you were just better like a, a good church person like me, this wouldn't be you. No, no, this is all of us among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. As you move on in verse 3, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is all humanity. This, this is the condition of every individual who has ever been and so we don't sit and think well that's not me or uh, somehow that that misses me it's all of us and then in verse four we get this transition we're not going to cover the rest of these verses but I just wanted to lay that out so that when we come I hope we can see these these final verses in a new light and with a new appreciation so verse four but God but God it started out and you and it told it told you the bad news, and it laid out the fact that you're dead. You you follow this world. You you are being blindly guided by Satan, who is orchestrating this world system away from God. So you're you're you're, you're following the world. You're under the you're under the power of Satan, and you're under the power of your own sinful desires. You are D E A D, dead in your trespasses and sins, completely all the way dead. And now the good news, but God, that's that's a hopeless situation, right? There's no hope for someone that's dead. There's no possibility for someone who's dead in their sins, but God. God. Those two words are, are, are the best news that we've heard when we think about and contemplate our condition before the Lord and just how spiritually lost and how dead we are. What great news that God has intervened, that God has acted on that situation because apart from God acting, I would not be here, you would not be here, right? Apart from God calling forth and giving life, there would be no hope for any of us. And so we see what God did, but God, we see his attributes that lead him to do this because he's rich in mercy. He is rich in mercy. He looks at all this mess. He looks at the world and us following the world in rebellion against him. He looks at Satan and his rebellion and orchestrating this world in opposition against him. And he looks at us as individuals and sees the sinful flesh within us that is rebelling against God. And yet he is rich in mercy, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Praise God that he is merciful and that he is loving toward us. And that love and that mercy leads him, not only do we see his attributes, but we see his action. It leads him to take action. You see what he does for us? The same thing again that he did for Christ. He he made us alive. We were dead and he made us alive and he raised us up and he seated us with Christ in heavenly places so that in the ages to come he might show the riches of his kindness toward us. He's done all of that. So then as we come to, to verse 6 and He's raised us up, or verse 5 rather, and he's made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. I hope you see those words in new light now, right? Now, maybe grace means something a little bit more than you when you know the condition that we are in apart from Christ. When you come to those words and it says, By grace you have been saved. And I love the way Paul writes here because he, he's describing who we were, and then he begins to describe the mercy and love of God, the action that he's, that he's taken on us uh, by making us alive. And then in verse six, it's just kind of a, a he, he, he's, he's headed that way, but he's got to just let it out. By grace you've been saved. And then he goes on to describe what God has done for us in more detail. And then he comes to his final conclusion. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. None of it is of you. You were dead. None of it's of you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Not of anything that you do. Because you're dead. Again, you're unable to come to the Lord not of works that any man should boast for we are his workmanship he made us he created us as human beings and he remade us in salvation he created us as as sons of God for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them sometimes when people think about grace and they say, well, we're saved by grace. They have a mindset of grace that like, you know, I needed a helping hand. I was a pretty good person. I was doing some pretty good stuff and I started coming to church and I wanted to follow God and God, you know, I just, I mean, I just needed a little bit of help. So he kind of gave me a hand and and helped me out onto this journey and now I'm kind of doing this on my own. That's what grace is in the mind of a lot of people. But what you need to see and what I hope you see in these verses is grace is so much more than that. Without grace, without God acting in your life, nothing, you, you have nothing, nothing of good, nothing to commend you, nothing to draw you to the Lord. It's not like you took a step or two and then God helped you up. No, no, you're dead. You're lying on the table. The doctor has said it's over, right? He's gone. And God gives you life. He calls you forth out of the tomb of your sin. That's what salvation is. It's a work holy of God. That's why why we praise him. That's why we thank him. Right? It's not that, that we were pretty good people and doing some good things and then God helped us out and so we give him a little bit of praise. No, he gets all the glory and all the praise because the reason we are here is that God had mercy and love on completely dead Sinners, by grace, you have been saved. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you that you have called us out of the tomb of our sin, that you have delivered us from our own flesh and our broken reason, that you have delivered us from the power that this world has over us. You have delivered us, oh oh, oh Lord, from from, uh, Satan and his blinding, of our eyes to see the truth of the gospel. We thank you that you have shown the light of the glorious gospel on us. I pray, Lord, if there's one here this morning who's dead in their trespasses and sins, I pray that you would grant them life, that you would make them alive, that you would call them out of their darkness and out of their death into the glorious light of your gospel. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.